welcome to the Bob Priest Show of Life podcast. I'm your host, Bob Priest. Thanks for tuning in today's show. This podcast is dedicated to individuals and professionals who desire to learn more about the subject of health and wellness, as well as alternative technologies to better health and vitality. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Bob Priest Show of Life podcast. I'm your host, Bob Priest. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Today I have a a wonderful guest and friend of many years, uh, Mr. Mike Beverly. How are you, Mike? Doing great today, Bob, and yourself? Doing wonderful, doing wonderful. It's beautiful outside here in Virginia. How's it in Florida? It is a little overcast today, but it's it's nice. And what's really amazing is that typically by this time of year, we're up in the uh, high 80s, low 90s, but we haven't hit any of those temperatures yet. So, so we're 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 hoping and praying that this summer is going to be a little cooler than it has in the past couple of summers. Well, that would be nice, I'm sure, from from your all standpoint. It's uh, 76 and sunny here today, so we're enjoying it, but. Listen, I appreciate you coming on this call today and uh, just going to tell our audience a little bit about our conversation and the direction we're going. Um, <clears throat> Mike and I grew up in the small rural community in Virginia, uh, Wise, Virginia, to be exact, in Wise County, and uh, very close-knit community. Uh, Mike is a few years older than me, and uh, my best friend, Donnie Henry, and Mike were in the same grade level uh, throughout high school. And so the three of us have have known each other for a lot of years. We've had a lot of camaraderie. We've done a lot together. Unfortunately, about a month ago, just, just almost a month ago, we lost our dear friend Donnie. And it was a very shocking and quick uh, thing. None of us expected it. He was doing pretty well as far as his health other than some just chronic uh, illnesses he'd been dealing with. But so I asked Mike if he'd like to hop on my podcast today and let's just reminisce about our friend. And so Mike, um, you and Donnie had a really, really unique relationship. It kind of started back when you were in high school together, actually probably before that when you were in grade school. Three of us had great relationship throughout the band days. I was kind of your all shadow. So I was the little guy following behind the the big dudes in band. But what are what are some of your first memories of Donnie? And uh, just share some of that with us. Well, it was uh, kind of interesting because <clears throat> I didn't know. I mean, I knew about the Bible Christian camp that uh, Donnie's father had built there in our community called Camp Bethel. But I went to a four-room country school in a little section of uh, our community called the Hurricane. But back there, they call it the Hurricane. <laughs> now, how did, how'd that get that name? I, well, I, I supposedly, the legend goes that uh, around 1911, a hurricane hit the coast of Virginia and made it all the way in to that mountainous area and right up through that area of where I grew up and where my dad and my grandfather's apple uh, orchard and farm was. And apparently there were several deaths as a result, and they named that area the hurricane, or as they pronounce it up there, the hurricane. The hurricane, and, yeah. And any rate, uh, so I didn't, I didn't really know who Donnie Henry was until they uh, sadly closed the hurricane school where I went the first four years of my education and they forced all of us uh, students who were in the little four room schools. And I know you'd mentioned at one point, your mom taught at one of those schools. Yeah. The Yellow school. Country. Yeah. Yeah. Any rate. So when I got into school or got into the wise elementary school in town, which was, you know, only about five, six miles from where I grew up and where the, the country four room school was, um, we started having these assemblies, uh, and they were they were called Bible lessons or Bible assemblies. And and uh, uh, Donnie's father 
uh, Reverend John Henry would do Bible classes and Bible lessons, and he'd always have some kind of uh, animation and a stage production. And I remember in fifth grade, our first one we had, and we had him not just once a year, we had him several times a year where he would come in and teach Bible lessons. And then he would, if you learned or memorized 25 Bible verses, you were given a New Testament. And if you did 125 verses from memory, you got a Bible. And so Donnie was there actively passing out uh, those Bibles or those New Testaments, along with his older sister, Susan, who was just a couple years ahead of him and us. And so I got to know the family a little bit then. But it wasn't until seventh grade when I was assigned um, uh, Mrs. Bellamy as my homeroom teacher and uh, uh, Geraldine Bellamy, I think I think her first name was Geraldine. But uh, at any rate, Donnie was in that class with me. And he sat in the seat right across from me. He was in the row right next to the windows. And I was in the row, one, one row over from the windows in the, in the classroom. We were on the, the top floor of the school. I think it was a two or three story school. We were in the top floor in seventh grade. And uh, I'll never forget first day of school, Mrs. Bellamy said, okay, everyone, please stand up and introduce yourself. And I want the full name. I don't want Mike Beverly. I want your full legal given birth name. And so we all went around the room and, and then it was Donnie's turn. So Donnie stood up and proudly with that big, deep voice of his said, I'm Donald Charles Stewart Henry, Mrs. Bellamy. And, <laughs> and so, so she said, okay, Mr. Donald Charles Stewart Henry, you may sit down now. And so, so he did. And then every time it was Donnie's turn to be called on, this is how Mrs. Bellamy would say it. Mr. Donald Charles Stewart Henry, can you tell us when the Constitution was signed or whatever question she was asking? And it was never Donnie or she would never point to him. She never pointed to any of us. It was always <laughs> Michael Warren Beverly or Donald Charles Stewart Henry. So people go, how do you, my wife now, you know, she knew Donnie. She says, how do you remember those names after all these years? I said, when you hear it 5,000 times in one school year, it's very easily to remember. Yeah. So, you know, and, you know, the funny thing about those names, um, and I don't think you knew this and until I told you recently, but those other names, Donald Charles Stewart Henry, they were all from boyfriends of his mother's. Yeah, and I, I know as we were discussing after we learned of Donnie's passing, you you asked me, do you know where all those names came from? I said, <laughs> I have no clue. I just, I will never forget them, you know, yeah, after really. so many times. <laughs> but uh, but I did not know the story about those were his mother's old boyfriend's yeah. names. That I guess was, she wanted to remember all of them. <laughs> I, I wonder how uh, Reverend John Henry uh, uh, I'd his. say I say he must have endured it plenty because they they had a lifelong love affair with each other. His him and Aunt Mary. I I called him Uncle John and Aunt Mary because I was around them so much. But uh, you know, it's interesting how your young life started um, in that gymnasium that we used to have to go to in the elementary school to, for our assemblies. And do you remember those those black light services that? Reverend Henry would do? I do. I do. I thought that was so unique on how those things could stick to the board. And, and, uh, but, you know, you know, it's, um, Aunt Bethel had a huge impact on, on the mountain folks back in Wise County, didn't it? It sure did. It sure did. And, uh, I mean, many, many, many people, uh, came there and they, uh, were witness to, they were taught the love of our Lord there and, and gave their, gave their life to Christ sometimes during that summer, uh, week-long visit. And I guess they traditionally did the, the Bible camps a week at a time, right? Over several weeks in the summer. Yeah. Part, part of the reason they went to the schools, this is the initial 
uh, mission was they would come into the schools, they would, you know, teach children uh, Bible verses, give out Bibles, etc. And then part of the, uh, and I don't know if you remember this, but if you learned so many verses and you could memorize so many verses, you accumulated kind of a point system and you would get a free week of camp. And uh, I, I, I don't know if you remember that, but a lot of people would get to come to camp free. And that was, you know, it was all based on their their willingness to show their hunger to learn more about, about the word and to learn more about Jesus Christ. Um, but that, that originally is how it, it kind of started. During the off season, um, they had a couple of ladies, Sharon Gale was one of them, and, and some others, Aunt Mary, they would actually reach out to children uh, via correspondence. And they would do, uh, instead of online like we do now, they did letters back and forth and did that same thing so kids could come to camp the next summer free if they finished throughout their courses. So it was a really unique concept that was started way back then. And and that camp now has changed over the years. And um, a lot of churches brought in kids and from their youth groups. And then now the way the camp's working is churches and organizations are bringing in their groups of kids and groups of teenagers and doing their own camps. And then the uh, staff around the camp kind of facilitate the, the food and the upkeep of the place and all that during the course of the week. But um, Donnie became camp director out there at one point when he finally uh, decided to walk away from being a band director like you and I did. Um, and he was camp director for many years. And he started helping out around the camp after his recent retirement from teaching again. He had gone back into teaching back in the Christian school there in Wise County. Um, but um, you shared a story with me about a conversation you had with Donnie after that event that when he, um, I think it went back to when you first uh, closing down your business. Didn't Donnie call you or something during that time? Yeah, it's, uh, I had, um, I, I, you know, I'd always, since my junior year in high school, I had always been a believer in Jesus Christ, but I had uh, been what would be considered in probably Southern Baptist terms or conservative uh, religious circles as a backslidden Christian. And, uh, you know, now we have a current pastor that calls believers who stop growing and reading the Bible and studying, you know, the, the history of the Bible from the Old Testament all the way through to the lessons of the New Testament as reversionist Christians or believers. And so up until the point that I had a major health crisis in March of 2020, I was not a faithful student of the Bible or the Lord, but I had a major crisis, as you are aware of, and almost died in March of 2020. And I, I know because I had an internal bleeding issue, Bob, where they couldn't stop the bleeding. It was, and, and I, I, I've since learned that I was given a medication that caused that condition, but also there was no known antidote to stop the bleeding. Mm -hmm. So so when I checked into the hospital, the emergency room that evening in March of 2020, uh, my wife was alarmed that they weren't attending to me. And the reason they weren't, they were having other issues because COVID was breaking out. Things were happening that was driving probably the whole medical establishment crazy. And they were kind of ignoring me and it was upsetting her. But they knew that the medication that I was taking for a couple of months had caused that and they knew they couldn't stop it. But the third night in the hospital, it did. And you and I know who stopped it. Amen. The great healer stopped it. And, uh, but anyway, I, I went through that and recovered and uh, uh, was, was given uh, some amazing alternative health technology that turned my whole world around physically, mentally, everything. Um, but because of COVID and we were in the school fundraising business, 
all the schools closed. So we lost 95% of our income. And it's really hard to pay a huge rent on a warehouse and office facility and pay employees and taxes and all that when you have no income coming in. Yeah, I can so, imagine. So so we had to we had to close that. And you know, my wife and I had been doing that uh well over 20 years. And it had provided a a very solid uh stable income for our family. And between Christmas and New Year's, I knew I had to clean out the warehouse and get out of there because thank goodness our landlord was a good, strong Christian man and he knew the situation. So the crazy thing is before I went into the hospital, I had just signed a new four-year lease that put me on the financial hook for a lot of money every month and for four years. And so as things progressed and we knew that there was no hope to, to keep this business, uh, I went to him and I said, you know, I know I've signed a lease and I know I'm on the hook for the money, but I, I there's no way I can pay it. You know, I'll have to do whatever to protect me legally, but, but I can't do it. And I just want to let you know that. And I think you understand the kind of business I'm in and what's going on in the world right now. And he said, well, if I can get a new tenant, then I'll release you from your lease. And he did. And he did. He was an honorable man, very strong Christian man. And uh, but that last week, as I was cleaning out things and you and I had had a couple of conversations during that fall when I knew there was probably no hope to, you know, save this company and this business. But that week between Christmas and New Year's, as they, I had a another business, a few uh, business developments over, they agreed to buy all the warehouse shelving, and and I got, you know, probably one tenth of what I had invested for this heavy duty warehouse shelving. It was real heavy metal, and you know that you store heavy boxes, and we sold a lot of candles, which were heavy, so we had to have that heavy duty shelving. So. So as they were carrying that away that day, and it was, it might've been, you know, and I know it was between Christmas and New Year's. I don't know specifically what date, but uh, it, it really, it, you know, when I saw that empty warehouse and I, I, I looked and I said, this is what 20 years of my life has, has become. It was a very dark moment and it's so uncanny how God works. But shortly after those guys left with their trucks and their trailers, taking that shelving out of my warehouse and I'm staring there in the middle of this facility with nothing in it now, uh, all of a sudden the phone rings and guess who it was? Donald Charles Stewart Henry. It was Donald Charles Stewart Henry. And he said, how are you doing? And I said, and I, I broke down. I said, it's not a good good time right now, Donnie. He said, he said, I, he said, I don't know why, but you were on my heart today. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked for quite a while and, mm -hmm. and he prayed with me and uh, it, it made everything okay. You know, it, it really did. And I mean, uh, even though Donnie and I, I mean, we're, we were, we spent a lot of time in bandage, you know, I mean, we had, we probably had an extra 12, 15 hours a week after school and rehearsals with our band because we were a championship band for a number of years. So, so we spent a lot of time together, but we were never personally that close other than, you know, we'd laugh and do those band trips and, you know, and I get to see some of the antics that Donnie would do, you know, growing up that would make us all laugh our butts off. But but we never really were personally all that close. But but I'd called him after I'd had that uh, health challenge and and told him that I was so proud, you know. And I, I I mentioned the fact that every time we would go on a band trip and we would go in a McDonald's or we'd go in some some restaurant to eat, everybody couldn't just wait to start chomping down on the food. Donnie would get his food, set his plate down, 
And he seriously would pray for several minutes yeah, silently. <clears throat> and I mean, yeah. that was, and I, I told him, I said, what an example you set for all of us. And I thanked him for that. And he said, well, I'm glad you called me and I'm glad you're okay. I'm going to keep you in my prayers. And he, he would call me, you know, every two or three months or so just to check on me. But that day before the end of that year, before New Year's, when I was having a really bad day mentally and just, I mean, my heart, I, I said, you know, I put, it was almost 22 years of blood, sweat and tears into that business and to see it go up, you know, in a, just, just like almost overnight because of COVID and for him to call me and to counsel, comfort me, counsel me and pray for me was it's a God thing. I mean, yeah. You know, obviously God knew that I was going through this. He sent that signal to Donnie and that's just the way he works. And Donnie called me and, and I mean, I, I needed a male friend that day. I needed, I needed that. Yeah. And I, I'm so grateful and I'll never forget that. Well, Donnie seemed to have a sense and we know that where that came from the Holy spirit, but he seemed to have a sense that, uh, he knew when the right time was to call. Um, you know, my relationship with Donnie, uh, I was four, I'm four years younger than both of you guys. And uh, so I was the little guy that was always kind of like the fly that got around the older guys that wanted to keep me away. But he was not like that. He, for some reason, he just always encouraged me to hang out and, and always lifted me up and, um, but the thing that I appreciated the most about our friendship over the 55 plus years was he just seemed to know when to call. And uh, when he would call, it was, you know, chit chat, how's the family, that kind of stuff. But he would genuinely hone in on something. He would find something in our conversation and then he would talk about it a little bit more. And uh, I know this one thing about him for, I know your book, your name was in his book and mine was too. But he had a list in his journal of people he prayed for. And um, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that myself, my family were, were in his journal and that I, I could feel the presence of the Lord through his prayers. And his wife even confirmed that uh, numerous times to me that Donnie always prayed for you, Bob. You were very important to him. Um <clears throat> But we had many conversations over the, the many years about our friends. We talked about you a lot. Uh, we even laugh about a story that would that would come up from band days or or some other stories. I, if I remember correctly, didn't you and Donnie, your first year teaching, and Donnie was your student teacher? Yes. <laughs> Tell us about that quick story, because that, that fascinated me that you come out and you're a brand new teacher and yeah. somehow you get a student teacher to come right. to you. Yeah. Donnie, Donnie had been assigned to the old band director at Castlewood High School in Virginia. And uh, first week of June, the band guy resigned and decided he didn't want to teach anymore. And, uh, and a, a probably, I think it was shortly after my birthday, June 18th, I signed my contract to be the new band director. <laughs> At Castlewood High School. So so I'm going through the mail in July. I'm over there kind of cleaning up the band room and preparing for band camp and get ready for the fall football season and marching band. And I'm going through the mail and there's this official letter, you know, a big brown envelope from the University of Tennessee. <laughs> and I open it up and I, I, I read it. And it says, you will be assigned Mr. Donald Charles Stewart Henry to be your student teacher for six weeks, starting this date to that date. And I'm going, holy cow, you know, I'm a brand new <laughs> teacher and they want me to be his supervising teacher. But it turns out it was not full student teaching. It was what's called practicum teaching because Donnie was, um, I guess, because of work and some of his uh, a schedule and commitments with Camp Bethel and everything. He was only a junior finishing up his junior year while I had already graduated from college. So it was a 
what's called the junior practicum of six weeks. So, but anyway, so, so, uh, so I, I call up the guy who's like the supervising teacher. And I said, uh, I just want to make you aware that not only my brand new teacher, Donald Charles Stewart Henry and I are old friends from high school. And so I think he attempted to find another placement for Donnie, but it's too late yeah. to, to do that. So I ended up <laughs> with, with basically an assistant band director who helped. He was a brass person. I was a woodwind person. So he took, did all the brass teaching and all that. He helped me uh, give out uniforms. He helped every, I mean, it was just amazing. And for someone brand new, you know, even though the, the band program there was only about 70 kids, I mean, to have someone there to help with all those things, you know, getting instruments fixed, you know, getting them ready, getting uniforms passed out, yeah. everything. It was just an amazing help. But but we had a lot of fun. And what was really quite interesting was half the band had been to Camp Bethel <laughs> multiple times. So they knew Donnie yeah. and, and loved him. And they were excited to hear that he was going to be the assistant band director, you know, and that's basically what we we classified him as the the assistant. That so, is so cool. Well, yeah, I know I know that it had to make your job a little easier as a as a brand new teacher. And oh my gosh, <clears throat> Donnie had such a servant's heart. So you could have told him to go do anything, and he would have done it. Oh, he he didn't. And it, it, what was interesting was we had a couple of moms that were from Bamboosters that were supposed to be in charge of the uniforms, and they had a tradition there, which I changed. They had a tradition that the kids turned in their uniforms after every performance. You know, they didn't take them home and keep them. They they turned them in, we put them back in a closet, and then every time we'd have a performance, like at a game or parade, they'd have to come about an hour early, get their uniforms. So, so many times those moms, especially at the beginning of the school year when you have a lot of performances and football games, Many times those moms didn't show up and it was, it was Donnie or it was me or both of us passing out uniforms, right. the kids. And you imagine 70 kids coming in to a small little, it was at the back end of the instrument room where they're getting their instruments too, and then trying to get into an instrument or a uniform closet to get the uniform. So, but I, I think we did that the first year and the next year I said, no, we're going <laughs> to issue your uniform that's yours. And, we we will we'll all decide about the third performance. We'll take them to the cleaners to get them cleaned, and you will keep them. You will wear them here, and we will not be dealing with this. Yeah, because so it's so time consuming. Way way time consuming, too stressful, especially when you're trying to worry about getting the kids warmed up, tuned up, ready to perform, and then worrying about giving them a uniform as well. It's just crazy. Yeah, so God forbid them. that you're going on an away away football game. Well, too. that was even yeah, and and then. You know, the kids were supposed to be away when we were going away games two hours early. And guess what? They never showed up. No, of course not. So. You know, um, uh, over the years, just watching Donnie, uh, Donnie and I shared Thanksgivings together uh, when we were still single and didn't have our, our families yet. Uh, over Thanksgiving holidays, we'd uh, show up at one or the other person's house, uh, do our Thanksgiving at that house, go moan and groan over in a corner somewhere because we're all full up. And then four or five hours later, we go to the other guy's house and do the same thing all over again. But Don, Donnie was a, he was a quirky guy and uh, he would put his food on his plate in a circular motion clockwise and he would eat around the clock. And when he ran out of something, he excused himself get some more, fill up that spot, and keep going until he was finally full of whatever item was running out. I've never seen somebody as skinny as Donnie was, because <clears throat> he was a beanpole, wasn't he? And he he could put away more food, more groceries than any human being I ever saw. But um, I want to tell you a couple quick things about Donnie that Mike, I'm sure, can concur. But Donnie had a servant's heart. and um, during his years uh, as a teacher, 
the things that he did for students that were over and above, which most band directors do, but I know there was many times over in Dickinson County, Donnie would load up a kid in this little VW and he would drive him up on top of one of the ridges back home, which would from down at his little school in Irvington up to one of the ridges was not an easy trip. It might've only been three or four miles away, but you had to go around the mountain to get back up there. And, um, I knew many kids that Donnie took home. I knew many kids that Donnie would pay money out of his own pocket um, to feed or to take care of him on a band trip. Uh, so he had a servant's heart, not only in the education field, but then when he went into the ministry, Donnie started a uh, ministry that he um, would find widows or people that had shut-ins, that had problems Medically, they couldn't get in and out of their house or they would have issues within their house because Donnie was a master craftsman as well. He would build ramps. He would fix windows. He would put cabinets. He, he would do whatever that particular person needed. And that became a really big ministry that he and a few other guys uh, up in Wise out through the Glay Morgan Church up there would, would do. And Donnie had, he had a project in his basement that he was trying to finish up shelves for his church. And he had, I had gone to visit him prior to his passing. And he was showing my wife Sue and me these cabinets that he had made. Mike, they were absolutely gorgeous. He had taken some old wood that he had had in, around camp, planed it all down. Um, it, it was as quality, it was a professional and quality piece of furniture that I, had ever seen. And he, he was so good at that, but he had a lot of those projects that he had not finished prior to his passing that he was trying to get done. Um, but you know, one thing I want our, our listeners to, to understand about Donnie is he had a servant's heart. He, he was spending more time giving of himself than he was spending time trying to receive from somebody else. And I think that's a pretty important trait uh, for us, isn't it? Don't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, that, uh, that was him. I mean, and, and his father was the same way. I mean, I, I don't know that. I mean, his, his father was a, a, an imposing man. He was big, strong. I mean, I don't know if he had any professional wrestling in his background, but he could have been, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. he was as strong as an ox. I, I, I watched him one time, him and Donnie. Why well, I watched actually Reverend John uh, pick up a log, you know, that I have no idea how many hundreds of pounds that thing was, but he picked it up all by himself. I, I well, was, you know that story that we've heard about uh, Big John swinging a 16-pound hammer, you know, there big, what was it, a big, um, I guess he was called John Henry back in the book. But he would sling up big because he built railroads. Yeah, Big Bad John. It was Big a song. Bad John. Yeah, Dean, I think had that song, Big Bad John. Well, John Reverend John Henry was that guy because I I watched him split logs that would be humongous. He would take a a maul and a, <clears throat> a sixteen pound sledgehammer and four or five wax, and that log would be split in half. And Donnie was just about as good. And Donnie was not big and brawny like his dad, but he had the strength. Yeah. But, um, you know, Mike, I don't want to belabor this too much, but, you know, <clears throat> you and I both, we agree the fact that Donnie had an impact on not only our lives, but many lives that either we knew the person or many lives that we didn't even know those people. And that was true the day that uh, we had a memorial service. And I was one of the speakers and when I stood up to speak and looked out, out into the congregation, and this is a pretty large church, probably if every chair, I guess every chair was out, seats at least five, six, seven hundred people. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> Donnie was a non-assuming kind of guy. He was very humble. Um, he just lived his life true. He, um, as Mike was sharing his story about the impact that, that Donnie had in, on him back even when he was a teenager and 
he would just bow his head in prayer before a meal. Um, that was his life. That's the way he lived his life. He just lived it very humbly, um, serving others, having a good time, talking to people, uh, lifting people up, praying for people. Um, that That's a true measure of a Christian man. And um, when I looked out in that audience and saw that there was no chairs available to sit in and there was standing room only, and from what I understood from some of the gentlemen parking cars out in the um, parking lot, they were still trying to get people off the main drag into the parking lot to park cars. But um, Mike, I know you had written a letter uh, to his widow, Cheryl, and I'd like for you to share what you would, would like from that letter. And then I'm going to close this out with a tribute that I wrote to Donnie, just to kind of let people know how we both felt about this man and uh, the, the the impact he had on our lives, much less all these hundreds and thousands of other people over his lifetime. Well, sure, sure. Yeah, it was, as I mentioned in the letter that when your wife, Sue, called me, tell me that Monday, I think it was around three o'clock uh, that Donnie had passed. I mean, I was just in shock and dumbfounded. And it really didn't hit me until that evening when I went to bed. And I just laid there and I couldn't sleep. So I went downstairs and went out on my back patio and I wept for seemed like a long time. And I just, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, and I thought, well, I've got to write some thoughts down. And two, two things that stuck out to me, other than the ones you and I've shared already, was uh, when we were juniors in uh, high school band, we had for a number of years, our high school band had been the laughing stock of Southwest Virginia. And they even named us the Dirty 30. And, and I don't know if it's because we had ugly gray uniforms that looked like Civil War warriors or because there was so much coal dust in our town because for a long time, it was a big coal producing area. And there's so much, you just walk downtown, your feet, your shoes would get black from coal dust. Yeah. Uh, um, any rate, so so we, we had that, but in our junior year, we really put it all together after we'd had our new band director about five years at that point. And, uh, you know, we had a, an amazing group of kids. Bob was part of that group when Donnie and I were juniors, but my favorite experience was when in the springtime, we went, all went to try for all region band. The month leading up to that, Donnie kept saying, I'm going to take first chair from this kid. You know, it was a, a kid from another neighbor. Well, it wasn't close, but it was Abingdon, Virginia, where this guy, this kid was from. And he said, he, he you know, he's, his dad was the band director at his school and he was a phenomenal trombone player, and Donnie was a trombone player. So he said, I'm taking first chair. I'm taking I mean, every every day for like a month. <laughs> it might have been longer. I'm taking first chair from this kid. So, mm -hmm. and I mean, we we all of us spent a lot of time practicing scales, sight reading, and a lot of after school, a lot of Saturdays, getting ready for that. And then we made the trip up to a school, and I don't even remember which school it was, but it was off of Interstate 81 where that's anytime I think it was, it was John Battle. Oh, was it John Battle? I think it was John Battle. Well, at any rate, we were at the school and no, Patrick Henry. It was Patrick Henry. I Patrick do remember. Henry. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, I know we we're going north on 81. Uh, so it was Patrick Henry. So, at any rate, they were posting the results of that event in the cafeteria. And so, uh, so I'd gone down and found out that I didn't make it, you know, so uh, I was disappointed. But, you know, I, I'd really not taken my music that serious until my senior year in school. But Donnie had, and Donnie was a great trombone player, but he went in there and saw that he had beat this kid from Abingdon, Virginia, or John Battle, wherever, whatever school this, this, this student went to, he had beat him. And I literally watched him jump over a four or five foot bush <laughs> yelling, I did it, I did it, we're with his hands in the air. So I was on the, in the stairwell of the bus 
and everybody else started cheering. There was about 40 of us on the bus and they were cheering. Oh, Donnie. I mean, it was like a cheer, but I'm telling you the happiness and the joy that we saw on that guy's face that day was like, Oh, we were all just as happy for him as he was for himself. And he was, you know, but to watch him, you know, that big lanky six foot three or whatever inch frame of his jump over a five foot bush. Yeah. Literally. I mean, it's like he literally hopped over that bush like a oh. rabbit. Yeah. And, oh, and wow. yeah, it was, it was amazing. So that's, that's one of my favorite fun memories of Donnie, but, uh, but, but another touching warm moment was the senior year of, of our career and our last rehearsal before the spring concert, the band got the vote on the most outstanding senior band member. And, and Donnie and I were nominees for it. And so we had to leave the stage where we were having a rehearsal, go back to the band room, which was behind the auditorium and wait for the band students to vote. And apparently it was a, it was a pretty lengthy debate about the two of us you know, and I know Bob had mentioned that somebody said, well, let's just give it to both of them, you know, but back then we didn't, you didn't give participation trophies. You know, it was like, yeah, you, you chose the winner and the other person wasn't the winner. So we went back to the band room, closed the door and Donnie said, let's pray. So Donnie said a prayer and it was, you know, dear Lord, you do in your will and pick the person you feel is right. And uh, we will accept your decision and, and know that it is in your will that for the, whoever winner you choose tonight from the students in the band. And then he said, amen. And he said, and you know, I'm going to win. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Humble so, pie. <laughs> yeah, typical Donnie, typical Donnie, you know, he, he's, he just, you know, kind of slapped me on the back and said, and you know, I'm going to win. So it's like that. So, but those are, those are just fond memories. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's interesting as I read, as I read the letter that I'd sent to Cheryl with even some more details that I shared with her that then we've discussed, my wife wanted me to read it to her and, and Bob, I think you called us shortly after we had our crying jag and, uh, you know, because, you know, I could I couldn't read I couldn't get through the letter without yeah. crying. And, you know, and Anna started crying because she knew Donnie well and loved him. And and so it's just that's that's what a special person and what an impact he had on my life and on my life and many others, many others. But, uh, you know, I, I am blessed that I knew him. I'm blessed that he had. Uh, spent we spent so much time together in that wonderful band experience that we all had and uh, there's nothing else like it nothing right. else you know as you're telling the story about him getting that first chair at all district tryouts um how many many nights would go out there to practice with donnie because you know i was preparing to try out and everything too and i'd walk in the house with my trombone and get ready to go up to his, his room where he always practiced and this big stairwell going upstairs. And he always sat in this big wooden chair that his dad had made, big arms. And he would sit there with his elbows on the chair, arms, and he'd practice. <clears throat> and I'd always hear him playing when I'd come in. Well, this particular night, there wasn't any sound. And when I got to the bottom of the steps and looked up, I see this person up there, trombone up to his face, but no sound. And I holler up there, nothing happens. So I go up the steps and I get to the top steps. He jumps. He'd been playing long tones for about two hours, he said, because that's how he had gotten his, his amateur so finely tuned. Uh, but he had been playing long tones for about two hours and he fell asleep. <laughs> he was very dedicated in what he did. Um, I'm just going to read mine because this, <clears throat> this is the person that I knew. I had tried to write Donnie a letter for, for months and months and months just to thank him for being the friend that he had been in my life. And I had, you know, after having my stroke and going through some medical challenges, just like you had gone through, I was starting to have these uh, 
these thoughts that I needed to make sure I told people how I felt about them, why they're living, not wait till when, when they pass away. And so I was trying to put into words how I really felt about Donnie. You know, it, he was my best friend. I, he was the best friend you could ever have in life. Um, the things, I mean, I told my wife, you know, if I called Donnie right this minute and told him I need you, I can't explain right now. I know Donnie would be there. I know he would come. He did when I had the stroke. My daughter called him, and within a couple of hours, he drove from Wise to Roanoke, Virginia, and was at my bedside. Um, <clears throat> so I, I saw it in action, but um, I just couldn't write. I couldn't pin it. And the, the day on that Monday morning when I got that phone call, you know, and I had a, a hellacious cry, to say the least. Um, I, 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 I weeped. And to the point that it hurt because, you know, he had had an impact on me that much. But I sat down several hours later and the first three words that came out of my, my thought process onto the paper was the tall oak. Donnie loved woodwork. He was, he was crafted in that, that area, but he stood this way too. He stood like a tall oak. And so that just seemed apropos for me. And so I wrote this, and it came so easily. For 70 years and 20 days, this oak tree stood strong and rooted. As a young boy in elementary school, I met this strong oak. He was funny, genuine, and a bit quirky. This oak had something special about him that made this young boy want to know more. The oak was firm in his stance, tall and strong. These different qualities made him different than all the other trees. For 55 years, this mighty oak taught me how to practice my trombone, how to use my hands and build things from scratch. On many occasions, I stood under this tall oak looking for comfort, understanding, or protection from the storms. The oak never showed fear or worry because his roots were so deep and wide. On various occasions, in his role as band or choir director, I observed this oak guiding young oak or saplings and how to grow their own root system like his father had taught him. Two of my favorite qualities of this oak that I admired was his ability to be patient and his heart to serve others. He initiated and completed extensive projects for different organizations, people, and his church. As a proud husband, father, and grandfather, this mighty oak demonstrated year after year how to be a godly example for his family and friends. There were many scenarios in our friendship where I was not standing firm or strong and that this oak had even every right to set me straight. Instead, this oak would demonstrate grace in allowing me to learn from my mistakes and would be kind with his words by never saying, I told you so. Instead, he would come alongside of me to remind me to check my own root system and to guide me to the right path. This oak would cover his family and friends in prayer daily. And I personally know he had my name in his prayer journal with so many others. This oak lived out his testimony daily through his actions, not just his words. He was consistent, intentional, and left a legacy of planting seeds in others to promote growth. He left a legacy through the root system he planted deep and wide in his family, his friends, and acquaintances that will never be forgotten. There are so many stories that I could share of this mighty oak and his impact on not only my life, but so many others. The strong and mighty oak I speak of was Donald Charles Stewart Henry and he was my best friend. He was a good and faithful servant, husband, father, grandfather, friend, teacher, and mentor. The fall of this mighty oak shook our root system to the core and caused it to crumble. However, Donnie would remind us in those moments to go back to his root system of faith and hope in God. He would want us to reach for the Bible, bow our heads, and pray for wisdom and calm during the storm. May we all continue Donnie's legacy through our lives by being a wise, tall, firm, and strong mighty oak.
that's the lesson I learned from him over my lifetime. And uh, I appreciate you coming on today, Mike, and sharing some of your stories and memories of Donnie and, and allowing me to do the same. I hope that our listeners have friends like you and I've had in our life. And uh, just so you know, it, you're my number two best friend I think I've had in life. Um, I, I, <clears throat> I can count on one hand the number of friends that I feel like I could count on, and you've been one of those. And I appreciate you as a friend and as a colleague and as a contemporary. And, and uh, I wish you much success as you continue to grow your business. But um, so our listeners will just know, Mike, tell us real quickly uh, if they would like to reach out to you for any. I know you do some counseling. You have some other businesses that you've done. How could people reach you and and uh, reach out to you and maybe ask you any questions that they might want to have? Uh, answered. Sure, sure. Yeah, you can go to my website, folks. It's at www.mikebeverly. That's M-I-K-E-B-E-V-E-R-L-Y dot life, L-I-F-E, mikebeverly.life. And while there, you can hit the schedule a free call. I offer a free 30-minute uh, consult, and we can talk about anything. Uh, but uh, while you're there, Download a blog or two, and then you can listen to the Health and Biz Bites podcast, which features several guests and, and lots of education about alternative and holistic uh, forms of health and well-being. So it's uh, been a pleasure, Bob. And uh, as my wife and I heard you during the live uh, memorial service that was streamed over YouTube, and she heard you read The Tall Oak, she was highly impressed as well as I. So hopefully that will be published someday and uh, be a part of your uh, author's uh, repertoire. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. And <clears throat> thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of your your thoughts and uh, just uh, you know the love that you had for our dear friend. Um, folks, um, my you can reach out to me at bobpriest.life, B-O-B-P-R-I-E-S-T.life. I also have my podcast and blogs that you can download on there as well. Um, Mike, again, thank you for being with us today and continue to tune in to the Bob Priest Show of Life uh, and also the Mike Beverly uh, Show. They say that one more time, Mike, yours is Health and Biz Bites. Health and Biz Bites. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in today and allowing us to share with you about our friend. Have a great and blessed day. And this is Bob out. Bye-bye.